Welcome to another episode of Twice Told Tales podcast. Today we're going to talk about uh, Chris's in recent interview with Press TV uh, on Midstream, uh, which is hosted by our previous guest Marva Osman, uh, based in Beirut. So, uh, Chris, what was the interview about, and why were you invited to talk about it? Well, that's a very good question because I'm absolutely not an expert on any of the this topic. But uh, we, uh, I think my expertise lies in just being very skeptical and asking questions where other people aren't aren't interested in asking questions. And so when I first heard about that horrible explosion, and I heard the explanations that they proposed, I immediately knew there was something fishy uh, going on because the quite the what they said happened doesn't make any sense and so i i talked to marwa about that uh after we interviewed her i, I was texting her about something and it that came up because ever since then i've always been trying to see if other people also find it a very fishy story and she she apparently had never considered my my questions and she thought that was I think it really impacted her that I asked those questions and so she wanted to get me on the air so I could I could uh, say that which I thought was great and so basically what it for me the question is they it's just basic chemistry like they say that there was ammonium nitrate that just exploded uh and officially it was just exploded that was it then after a week or something they started talking about like fireworks nearby because i think maybe they were getting a little pushback like well how does ammonium nitrate just explode and someone said oh you need a firework to set it off but like uh because there's some rudimentary understanding of how an ammonium nitrate uh fuel oil detonation works because you need a primary charge to set off the the secondary larger explosion so maybe a firework would do that but they still nobody ever has explained how you would have a homogenized mixture of ammonium nitrate and fuel oil like you would need it's not just ammonium nitrate you need for an explosion it's like saying i'm going to make a sandwich i have i have this bag of flour and so i'm going to cut it up and make a sandwich out of it was well, it's not bread, it's just flour. Like you have to do other things to the flour to have bread. And so if you just say I have ammonium nitrate, so therefore I have a bomb, that is, that's not, doesn't make any sense. The, the mechanism that makes ammonium nitrate work in a bomb as a component is that it is a, uh, it, it can create rapid oxidation. So, it's a very stable molecule, but if it's exposed to a high explosive around it, it can shed the oxygen molecules really quickly. And so that doesn't mean it, it's not flammable. You can't light fertilizer on fire. You can't, I mean, there's nothing in it that actually burns. It just provides an oxygen molecule, which then will burn something else. And so you need to add that something else. And that's the fuel oil, which you like coat all of the ammonium nitrate with like evenly and then that provides the fuel so that the oxygen atom when it when it's 
leaves the ammonium nitrate quickly because that's the only thing ammonium nitrate does that can it can quickly provide you with an oxygen atom. So, so you then put a charge, a primary charge in there, which then uh, like re releases quickly that oxygen atom from the ammonium nitrate, which then creates this chain reaction of a, a larger, very rapid explosion uh, and and like amplifies the small stick of dynamite or something, or even maybe a powerful firework that kicked off the whole explosion. But none of those components really exist in this story. And the other thing is ammonium nitrate as a chemical is hydrophilic. So it means that it attracts water molecules. So in this case, the story is that this ammonium nitrate was stored for years as an abandoned product at a port. And so if you do that, ports are generally humid. And if you store it in an area of high humidity, you're going to attract water molecules to the ammonium nitrate. And so eventually, after some years, it's just going to be like a like a brick. If you had powder before it's, or, or granules, it's just going to solidify because there's so much water and it. it's just going to become big, hard, not bags of granules, but like big bricks, which you, I, I don't think you could sell it for anything. And my my suspicion is that's why the company abandoned it there is because it was, it was stored there long enough that it became unsellable and also unexplodable because then how would you mix it with fuel oil? You'd have to grind it up again and dry it out and then mix it with fuel oil and then package it in a way that you could then, you know, use it as a, as a secondary charge in an explosive explosion. So I don't, uh, yeah, I don't really understand any of it to me. And I, the reason I understand it's not because I'm like some kind of detonations expert or like like have any experience with that. I mean, I as a kid, I definitely enjoyed blowing things up. But like I uh, just for fun. But like I mean, in fireworks and it, I mean, I I got yeah. I'm lucky. Yeah, you have, have to all, clarify that. I'm lucky I have all my fingers. But that was just you know experimentation as a kid with what you can do, and it's. I hope every kid around the world does some level of that because it's a way of engaging with the physical reality and its general curiosity. But uh, other than that, uh, I mean, the reason I know this specific uh, reaction isn't because I've ever produced an ammonium nitrate fuel oil ex explosion. I haven't. But when I was growing up, there were three very traumatic experiences for me, kind of waking up to the world and the evils in it and uh, the stories that go around those evils that are often untrue. Uh, you know, there was the uh, uh, Oklahoma City uh, federal building that was exploded supposedly by this white supremacist guy. And that story is very iffy. Um, Timothy McVeigh, I mean, I don't have any sympathy for his politics, but also the story uh is very fishy um the world trade center bombing attempt which is also extremely fishy and i think those guys the people who were fingered in that are are definitely imprisoned without enough uh, evidence so and then uh the uh bombings of the embassies in nairobi uh which was really the only thing that the fbi ever held uh the the only, the only thing that took Osama bin Laden to the top of the terrorist list, if if anyone remembers, after 
he was not on that list for 9-11 forever. The only thing he was ever on that list for officially was those bombings. And it's still not really clear and whether how that story worked out. But but that was really the only thing that Osama bin Laden had done against America officially. That's one of the curious things about the 9-11 story is that Osama bin Laden was just sort of tied to that by the media, but never officially by the government, at least on the terrorist uh, list. Uh, so those were the so, three things. There was Nairobi uh, and uh, the, or the uh, East African embassy bombings. There was the federal building and there was the World Trade Center building. And the thing that tied all those together was this story of fertilizer becoming a bomb. So obviously, as a kid who's watching his father use fertilizer around the house and who you know is familiar with it, you're worried. Is this stuff going to blow up? people around me like how so if you're a curious intelligent person you go explore like well how do you how does this work what is causing this to be a bomb how is it what's the actual danger here and i think part of the narrative that the government was using is they wanted to make this a fearful thing where they you anyone in their backyard could create a bomb that could like take out a giant building oh my god we're all gonna die so like that narrative of fear is much more powerful when it could be like Anyone around me could be a bomber because all you need is like a Home Home Depot, some fertilizer and a gas station. Um, but it really isn't that simple. It's a more complicated process to build those explosions, explosives. But anyway, in the process back then in the 90s, there was this thing on the Internet, which I don't know if it exists anymore. It's called the uh, Anarchist Cookbook. So that was like some chemists wrote this guide to all the different explosions, how you make them, uh, how different bombs, how you even showed you how to make C4 and all these other, and so it was, it was a very fascinating read at the time. Um, and uh, and the, one, the one thing that had a very informative chapter on was this uh, ammonium nitrate fuel oil process. So I read that and I just remember from it, the, very, the details of how it worked, um, because it was very comforting. I was like, okay, well, this is this is definitely something that I don't think like anyone can make. And it even made me very suspicious of the explosions because I'm like, eh, maybe these were not really that bomb. Maybe it was like some other bomb and they just called it that. Um, <clears throat> but at any rate, the actual story of how those, how that chemical process works became important. <laughs> embedded in my mind. So when I heard this story where it was just ammonium nitrate, it wasn't because before, and it's funny, if you look at ANFO on Wikipedia, ammonium nitrate fuel oil, ANFO on Wikipedia, they have scrubbed those three events from that from that site. So the only thing on that site that's of relevance in our conversation is the Beirut blast. The other three, the World Trade Center, the African bombings, and the uh, Oklahoma City building, those are all off of the Wikipedia page, which are, it's amazing because those are three extremely prominent terrorist events in the narrative. They've been scrubbed from Wikipedia. I, I'm wondering if that's recent because if you do read about those and if media did report on those, they would see all the narrative about how these explosions work and how it requires fuel oil. And this current narrative is completely absent of that. And it's it's put us all in this road to uh well 
I think one of the things that this narrative does is it benefits the World Economic Forum's agenda to demonize ammonium nitrate as a dangerous product because they're, one of the goals is to reduce uh, fertilizer on crops because they want to make a, a induced food shortage. I mean, that's obvious. They're trying to induce global food shortages. And, and they've done that through a lot of limitations on use of fertilizer in Europe. Uh, so far, and so the goal is to like create this uh, boogeyman of ammonium nitrate in the idiotic masses, and so we're we're seeing this kind of narrative. Oh, this is an ex ammonium nitrate is going to kill people, and it's it's totally insane. But that seems to be where a lot of that energy is being put in a narrative structure, and uh, but at the same time, you. Uh, you know, it just doesn't work. So the story that they say without some other actor who created this uh, fuel oil mixture and then placed a primary detonator somewhere in the explosion so that you could have it work. Because uh, you, you can't just light it on fire even when you mix it with fuel or it'll just burn like a fuel fire. It won't have a high explosion. That requires a debt, a a, a tiny bomb inside the little bigger bomb in order for that to work. So, so yeah, I, I was just exasperated for years because nobody talked about it. I, I talked to Kevin Barrett a couple weeks ago before we interviewed, or before we were interviewed on his podcast about it. And he let me know that Veterans Today had some article which had similar, I don't know exactly the details of the article, I've never seen it, has similar, uh, uh, hypothesis as, as me on this. So I'm glad at least someone else is talking about it. But it's shocking to me that you have an entire nations and entire legal teams and entire communities of people, which include a lot of intelligent chemists and physicists in the Middle East who aren't questioning this ridiculousness. So that's yeah. why Marwa asked and me. And so I just apparently the only person who's willing to ask that question. Yeah, I mean, you always ask really interesting questions, and um, I'm glad that Press TV and Norwa wanted to uh, bring that up. Uh, well, the explosion happened in 2020, but it was back uh, on the headlines when one random British uh, company was uh, like blamed for the thing that happened, or uh, or partly blamed for what happened. Uh, which, as you said, doesn't like make much sense. Like, uh, if I mean, I don't know anything. I don't know much about chemistry, but also like just you, what you said. Uh, how would? Yeah, I mean, how would you store um, such amount of explosives uh, for so many years if that was the case? And how, why aren't we hearing? Uh, fertilizers exploding everywhere in like you know different parts of the world it's interesting like in 2004 if I'm yeah in in February 2004 there was an explosion in a town uh, in Iran where uh, it was I mean it's uh, known as the Neshabur train disaster there was a cargo train that was uh, carrying fertilizer and ex it exploded and it killed about 300 people. And the explosion was so strong that some people felt like there was uh, some sort of a minor earthquake. But in that 
uh, disaster, the train was carrying um, uh, like the fertilizers and petrol and cotton and sulfur. Like it wasn't only uh, fertilizers. And there was some sort of a derailment and the wagons went off the, the rail and, you know, like, I mean, there is there are some other elements that led to the explosion. It's not that the fertilizers just exploded on themselves. Um, so I mean, That's yeah, I mean, yeah, I would, it would be interesting to read the details of that because I'm sure that's possible, like theoretically possible, if you have a derailment and like the things sort of mix and then there's some charge that sets it off. Um, but exactly. if you read the initial stories of this Beirut blast, they talk about, they reference how dangerous fertilizer is by referencing fertilizer manufacturing plants that have exploded. They don't talk about just like a fertilizer storage facility exploding because that doesn't happen. Um, and that's a different thing when a fertilizer plant explodes because the precursors, the process to make the fertilizer does include some very unstable and flammable components and explosive components. But once you produce the fertilizer itself, it's very stable. And another thing that people aren't understanding is the difference between a fire and a high explosive. So like, if this was on fire, uh, you know, that just a localized burning thing, but this had huge pressure waves that came off of it. And that means that you had to get an explosion, not just a, not just an out of control fire, uh, you know, um, because, yeah, so that, so that's another thing where you'll see in the, in the media coverage is they don't, they kind of conflate the idea that, oh, uh, explosion is just as easy as like, like creating high explosion is just as easy as like an accidental fire. Like, oh, the, the cow kicked over the lantern and now we have no more Beirut. Like that's not how explosions, explosions are very difficult to set up that amount of uh, potential energy. So um, yeah, and with ammonium nitrate, like you need a fuel. It doesn't have to be fuel oil. It doesn't have to be. There's another way of doing it. The World Trade Center bombing supposedly was like, using hydrogen like a hydrogen based component there so that so that i guess when the oxygen atom is kicked off of the ammonium nitrate it's supposed to bond rapidly with the hydrogen you know creating instant water vapor which is a very very powerful uh uh potential energy bond between the with the hydrogen bond there so like i think that that there are other fuel options but uh but in this case they don't even give any 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 idea of what the fuel is in the high explosion? They just are talking about an oxidizer. So it's like, uh, you know. Uh, like there is a missing part. And what could that missing part of the story be, do you think? I think it's a missile strike. I think it's obviously a missile strike. We just review all the, I mean, I was, at the time, I was like eating up every report there because I was like, well, this is baloney. What else could happen? And there was, multiple eyewitness accounts of like of like a fighter jet following another jet and you know the the israelis have this this really like cowardly tactic of of having their fighter jets go in the radar shadow of another aircraft so that they can sneak into radar zones that they're not allowed mm -hmm. to and then they won't be caught on radar because they're like hiding in the shadow of another plane and 
that looks like that could have been what happened. Also, Israel has definitely the capability to shoot missiles into uh, the port there without being in Lebanese airspace because it's a port. So it's mm-hmm. on the coast. So the uh, Israeli plane could be just, you know, a mile off the coast and they could still strike Beirut without any kind of being outside of their whatever zone of... Uh, uh, anyway, they, they could have... It could be a missile strike. There's a lot of different ways that could have happened. I think that makes sense. Just a very, very high-powered payload there on a missile. I don't know anything about those in detail. So, Um, but that seems logical. If you're going to strike something, just strike and have you know they're they're not just going to strike willy-nilly. They'll have a narrative built up that they can just hand off to their uh, dudes in Lebanon, and the Israelis will just say, well. You know, here's the explanation you can tell people, or you can fight us. And so you basically make Lebanon like publicly subservient to Israel's by providing, if you're Israel, you make them subservient to you by providing them this bogus narrative, which they can then sell to their entire population. And uh, it's so bogus that just the chemists can, can poke holes in it. Mm. So it like, it creates this kind of power over them, just like 9-11 creates this power over America because the story is so dumb uh, that the fact that American government sold that story to its people means that it destabilizes that relationship between the people and the government. So that it's like Israel right. like put this wedge between the people and the government with this really bogus story. And I think they did the same here with Lebanon. So it's a way of controlling the Lebanese government. because. W- if it came out that this story, you know, if it, if people start questioning this story, the main loser is the Lebanese government because they look like fools and looks like not only like fools, they look like they're subservient to Israel, just like they w- the U.S. government would if people actually questioned 9-11. So that's that's how I view it. I view it as just like a, a propaganda victory and a military victory by Israel on two in two points there, but the strike itself and then the control of the government narrative and control over its people so you think uh like there is a chance that israel uh like was actually targeting the storage i mean it wasn't that they were doing some i mean it wasn't by mistake or anything like they wanted to explode that and they did i mean yeah, these guys, these military engineers or whatever, are very meticulous. They know how the how the pressure wave is going to act. They know where it's going to go. So they would have said, you know, they did this because they knew they would have an this uh, explanation uh, that they could provide. Um, because if they struck with no explanation, they just r- randomly struck the port randomly with nothing, no explanation or anything that couldn't get into the media right away. Israel is cowardly. They're not, they don't want a war. They're not going to do well in a war, uh, actual war with Lebanon has been proved before. Um, but Lebanon also will right. suffer hugely in that. So uh, you don't want to just strike uh, randomly. You strike with a mm-hmm. intention. So you strike this, you already have this story. Oh, there's this ammonium nitrate. Oh, it's such a, such a, a horrible accident or whatever. And so then Israel immediately isn't there. Nobody talked about Israel at all. There was only a few people saying that they saw planes. Maybe it was the Israeli strike, but it was like not anyone, hardly anyone talked about that. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, I haven't heard of that anywhere else. I mean, I, I haven't even heard anyone asking questions, but uh, I would like to hear more chemists coming up and uh, talking about it. Like, how is this really possible? Uh, I wanted to read a few lines from the report from the 2004 explosion in uh, in Iran that I told you about. And I want okay. you to see, like, like I said, I, I don't know enough to have any comment on that. All I know is, based on what I just searched and read, is that the fertilizers cannot explode on themselves. Like, you definitely need something to, like, ignite a fire and, like, explode. and, and yeah. that would, yeah, that would lead to an explosion. So, um the disaster, like this one from the Neshabur train disaster in Iran, in which happened in February eight on February 18, 2004. Uh, the Guardian report says the disaster happened when around 50 carriages carrying petrol, fertilizer, and sulfur products waiting at Abu Muslim station in Neshabur began moving unexpectedly, possibly because of earth tremors. Speeding without an engine or anyone in control, the wagons overturned when they reached the next stop, Hayyam, which is around 20 kilometers outside the city. A blaze began, and as firefighters tackled the flames, a series of explosions devastated the carriages. The Associated Press said that the dead comprom uh, compromise, comprised uh, uh, officials, including the local governor, mayor, and fire chief, and 182 fire and rescue workers. At least 400 people were reported to have been injured. And How many people well, died? Yeah, it talks uh, around 300, how more than 200. Was it in a big city where this happened? Like how? It was. It was near a city. Yes, and wow. like the windows broke and small wow. houses collapsed wow. as the force of the explosion. Yeah, it was really. How fast was I don't the train actually going remember. when it crashed? Uh, reports of the number. No, um, I don't see anything here. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, but it says the ferocity of the blast was such that windows were reported to have been shattered within a radius of more than 10 kilometers, according to the state-run news uh, I mean, you can see in which something would happen where there'd be, like, a giant, like, car full of, like, powderized ammonium nitrate or granular ammonium nitrate, and then there'd be a fuel car behind it, and then when it's crashed, that fuel just poured over the the fertilizer and then it and then in some somehow along the way there was a enough of a physical uh charge or explosion or something that would have um would have led to that rapid decay mm -hmm. i guess i mean i don't know enough about the chemistry but it's i guess it's possible that if it was soaked in fuel and you had a fire Somehow the fire could trigger an explosion, but that's not how any of the like official way of creating that high explosive reaction is. Normally they require they don't it's not the fire that makes the explosion, it's the pressure wave of the first explosion that pushes the oxygen molecules off of the ammonium nitrate into the fuel, which then leads to the second wave, the second explosion high explosive, the big explosion, which then kind of emanates out through the 
through the the ammonium nitrate fuel oil mixture and then as it moves out very rapidly it kicks all the oxygen molecules off and creates this huge explosion so it's actually the physical pressure wave that is not that is creating the oxidation effect that's how i understand it i don't know maybe that's i haven't read this in like 20 years so i don't know but that's how i understood it it was like a it's a physical reaction that cre that creates this explosive effect it's not the it's not just burning it's not a it's, it's not fire that starts it but you know maybe that and i remember i kind of vaguely remember this train thing now that you're talking about it because i think that was when was that that definitely was before 2004 oh okay it was actually yeah. two months actually less than two months after a deadly earthquake we had in the south of iran which oh, wow. killed more than forty thousand people yeah, that was yeah. it was like one one yeah yeah, it was really, I mean, the earthquake was terrible and um, and then this explosion happened, so. Well, that's kind of yeah. the reverse of, uh, I don't know, that's the reverse of what happened in Lebanon, right? They got this explosion and then they got an earthquake. Uh, but uh, Yeah, and in, in like two years time. Yeah. But that one was two months, like in two months. That's true. Well, it's really terrible. Well, yeah. So basically, you know, I'm not saying I know any of this as expertise. If anyone knows any more information, you could post it in the comments because I'm I'm just interested in it. And it just seems, from what I understand, it just seems super fishy. And uh, what's even more fishy on top of that is the the actual interview Maro I was giving or was her story was actually about this phony lawsuit that is obviously mm -hmm. phony, even if you don't. If you just forget everything I just said, it's still a phony lawsuit because the people that they're holding accountable have no direct connection to the company that was storing this these goods. They're like, they are like, it's like some business secretary, some office that has like business accounts had the company that stored this chemical and these Russian Syrian people's company like in the same filing cabinet. That's all it is. There's there's no relationship directly in the company. It's like they mm. have both had the same registered age shipping agent or something. Yeah, totally unrelated. Like it's like, I mean, it's like saying, oh, you're uh, like my mail or like it's like saying whoever's mail is delivered by the same person who delivers uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's mail is uh, is a murderer. Like what? Like this is not related. So and it's the same mm. logic, but but because these guys are sanctioned, they have no voice in the trial, and so they can just make up wow. whatever loose connection, whatever loose connection they want to these people. They could just say, "Oh, they look like them." Like it doesn't. There doesn't need to be. It just needs to be vaguely or maybe complicated enough that people kind of glaze over and they don't care, uh, and so nobody's going to actually do anything to lift a finger to help these these guys who are like I don't know. I don't know anything about them, but uh, they have enough money that the U.S. wanted to sanction them. Uh, and they're Rush, I guess because they're Russians. Uh, I think they're also Syrian, but I think the Russian part is it's because they supported Assad is why they initially sanctioned them. But now the fact that they're also Russian nationals helps right now because they can maintain those sanctions. So these guys have a bunch of money frozen in U.S. accounts, and this... This lawsuit is just concocted as a way of getting that money out by the lawyers. 
who are in the trial. It's not going to go to anyone. I guarantee you the victims of the Beirut blast are not going to get much money from this. It's not about helping people. It's about some lawyers wanting to make a big cash grab with a trial that they can basically do like without any preparation. They can just walk in there and say, oh, this guy's company is in the same filing cabinet as that other guy's company. Oh, 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 give us your money. And that's it. That's the trial. So it's obviously a show trial. But what makes it even more damaging is it's like a show trial that is based on an event that could be extremely easy to defend in a court. So like they're not even trying. And that's because the defendant's don't have a, the defendants aren't in there to defend themselves. It's just a, a way of getting money, and it's very similar to what they did to Iran in 2018. Some, some like a kangaroo court in uh, New York said that Iran is responsible for 9/11, and so they took all the money that the U.S. had illegally sanctioned in its unilateral sanctions against Iran that was frozen in a bank here and gave it to some Zionist lawyers who were. Who concocted this case and Iran couldn't defend itself. Obviously, I mean, I mean, I don't know. The propaganda and the level of intelligence of a lot of Americans is so questionable that you could probably go up to people on the street and people would say Iran was responsible. But uh that has nothing to do with reality. I think people who follow the story and are reality-based, at least maybe even just New York Times readers, question whether or not uh Iran is behind 9-11 because the original narrative but, had nothing to do with Iran. Iran was completely exactly. out of it. I mean, I mean, in fact, we gave yeah. Iraq to Iran as a result of our illegal wars. It was like we basically handed over the whole government of Iraq that we invaded and gave democracy yeah. to. We handed I mean, that over the names, silver platter to Iran. So if we would have done that... We're, we're in the, much, the names... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, we're in the name. We're in the names in the official narrative even... I mean, like, the people who were blamed for uh, the 9-11, weren't they all Saudi uh, citizens? I'm not saying that they were yeah, actually the course. people to be blamed, I mean, but yeah, I mean, even exactly. in that narrative, if we believe that they were Saudi citizens, why should yeah. Iran pay for it? I mean, it doesn't make exactly. any sense. Saudi is the arch enemy of Iran, for people who don't know that. Like it's so, and then, you know, a lot of people, you know, think that the Saudi connection or whatever was just to cover because it was actually a, another country in the Middle East who's an enemy of Iran uh, who is responsible for that. So, um, yeah, there's a su super fishy. I mean, I think it was Times or Newsweek magazine had an article like a month after 9-11 with basically all the guys who they say were so supposedly responsible that they had miraculously found their passport somehow undamaged after everyone else in the plane was burnt to unrecognizable dna crisps or whatever yeah. the story is so dumb so they had these oh these scary muslims and this i was like a mainstream news outlet new newsweek or time had an article where they just found all those guys and they were all living like some of them were went back were, were, most of them were on student visas at one point to the u.s some were like going living back in morocco and somewhere it was so absurd like immediately when there were still mainstream news uh, journalists that hadn't been purged from the system, they had just done a genuine investigative report. Like, let's try and track these guys down. And they tracked them all down. They were like pictures of them. It was the actual person. So basically those that list of names uh, is no longer used anymore by the, because they just, they focus on these uh, guys like, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or whatever that they were able to tear uh, torture into saying whatever they wanted. So 
the whole story is so bogus. And yeah, it was it was Saudi Arabia was their main foil, and then uh, you had uh, you know after that nonsense, then they started bringing in Saddam Hussein, and then they brought in that whole nonsense, which is totally unrelated to 9/11, and they managed to kill a million people because of a non-relationship between their 9-11 story and Saddam Hussein. So now they just have another non-related story and they're able to accomplish what they want with Iran supposedly responsible for it all. But the main motivator for that lawsuit wasn't anything to do with holding Iran accountable. It was because there was all this cash in a bank in the U.S. that was held and they were trying to figure out a way to unlock the door to that cash. And the best way is create some bogus lawsuit where everyone agrees, oh, yeah, it's a terrible thing. we got to take that money to, to give it to the poor victims. And they give like a, I don't know, like a tiny fraction to the victims, and then the majority of it just goes to the lawyers. And the lawyers didn't really have to work that hard because all they had to do is say blah, 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 blah. And the judge was like, oh, I agree with that. And then there's no, uh, yeah. there's no justice at all. It's just a total show trial. So it's very pathetic, yeah. and that's obviously what this is. And it's really sad because I... You know, I don't expect much from the legal system in the U.S., especially when it involves things that have any flavor of Israel. But, uh, but uh, Lebanon, I thought, wouldn't be that infiltrated, but I guess it is. I mean, it isn't near next next door to Israel. So, I, it's, anyway, it's kind of it's all very depressing because it means like there really isn't but that ha- much resistance. Yeah, but I hope uh, with with the interview uh, on Press TV and Veterans Today, we're going to see more people talk about it because it's really it's yeah. really strange that nobody. I mean, there are not many people who are questioning the uh, so-called yeah. official story. So, if anyone um, knows the VC there... article, link it in the comments too, because I I still. Yeah. Or, that, so. or if we have any uh, anyone uh, with expertise in chemistry who is watching this and they want to add any comment, we would be very happy yeah. to add it. So, happy to and like, even too. have them, yeah, yeah, have them to talk about it. Yeah, I'm going to read these lines from the Wikipedia article about the 2003 Baum earthquake, which happened on December 26th and killed more than 40, uh, yeah, 40,000 Iranians. So following the earthquake, the U.S. offered direct humanitarian assistance to Iran, and in return, the state promised to comply with an agreement with the International Atomic Energy Agency, which supports greater monitoring of its nuclear interests. In total, a reported 44 countries sent in personal to assist uh, in relief operations and 60 countries offered assistance. So... I mean, even at that time when the sanctions were not as severe on Iran, uh, the U.S. offered humanitarian aid only in exchange for more monitoring of Iran's nuclear facilities. And that's how, I mean, I find it really hypocritical. That's, that's, well, it's it's definitely gotten worse now because Israel's just literally bombing aid convoys, right? So, or threatening to, I think they did. Anyway. Well, they're they're bombing. At least they're bombing civilian buildings in Damascus, right after the earthquake. So and killing people. Yeah, it's yeah. really. They horrible. they they started by setting conditions for giving people humanitarian aids, and they got to bombing humanitarian aid convoys. Exactly. So it's a, but the it's U.S. A has pro- officials. There's videos out there that I think 
don't know where I saw him last, but I've seen him even before this where the U.S. is saying, you know, after uh, the war devastated Syria, that their main goal is to restrict uh, reconstruction aid to yes. Syria. So we have included main that. Goal of the sanctions. So that's pretty evil. Yeah. But, you know, I think it, we you have... know, this is highly speculative. Like the stuff I said about Beirut, that's just pure science. And it shows you all you need to do is hear their explanation and just read how the science, uh, scientific explanation for for what they're claiming uh, is involved. And you can easily see it's a baloney story, or at least there's way more culpability involved with actors that they're not talking about. Like if actually was an ammonium nitrate explosion, there had to be someone who created that explosion. It wasn't just by, it wasn't just negligence. Uh, it was actual, there's some person who actually created a bomb uh, in that warehouse, but at any and you know they they have literally shut down their investigation like after a day, and they haven't done anything else with it. So why would you do that? Well, you do that because you don't want to know. You don't want to want people to know that your investigation doesn't make sense. That's what they did with 9/11. They shipped all the parts of the buildings off to China the next day. Basically, they started shipping stuff away so it couldn't be studied because they don't want an investigation because the story is is baloney. But with the earthquake thing, speculatively, speculatively, I think it's important for people to understand that it is not science fiction and some goofball, uh, you know, tinfoil hat stuff to talk about the intentional creation of earthquakes of that size. That is as very well as 50 year old technology. It's very well within the capability of the of the West to do that. And, uh, you know. They canceled the underground nuclear testing in Nevada in the U.S. I think it was in the late 50s or early 60s because they were causing, I think it was like 5.8 on the Richter scale earthquakes using 150 kiloton explosions underground. And so that 150 kiloton is not a very big nuclear weapon in today's uh, capabilities. Uh, and, you know, Israel has a couple hundred or at least a hundred plus of these uh, of nuclear warheads, and the ability to move it into that part of Syria was well within the political boundaries of Israel. So, uh, or not political, but the real, real boundaries of Israel's power um, because of the way they uh, control some of the actors on the ground there. Uh, so I, and they had all these guys who are like expertise in digging tunnels who were terrorizing Syria for the last like since 2013 or whatever so and they recently I guess didn't have much to do so it's really not far-fetched to think that they just dug some deep tunnels they knew where the fault lines were they knew there was tension on these fault lines because there's always been thinking that there could be an earth would be like doing the same thing in California we know there's going to be a big earthquake there at some point because there's tension on the fault lines and they just dug a hole a really deep hole near that fault line and this released the tension with a nuclear detonation underground i mean there's visual there's photographic evidence of these tunnel diggers i think it was in aleppo that they were burying uh, ammonium nitrate fuel oil explosive uh, in the ground so we know that they had plans or whatever to do similar underground explosions to cause devastation uh, in some parts of Syria. So to ramp that up 
yeah, I mean, theoretically, you could do it with ammonium nitrate if you had like trucks and trucks and trucks and trucks of this, but it seems way more likely that it could be done with a nuclear warhead. Um, but anyway, all that to be said, total speculation, but it this that should be on the table that this could be uh, man-made because it came at a time where, you know, there was a lot of normalization between Turkey and Syria, and uh, it doesn't look like since the earthquake, there was a great coming together, which would have been the main threat of a of a disaster like that. You would have like coming together and like a greater move towards peace because of people working together to to mutually uh, overcome the losses. Um, so it looks like the political lines were sharply divided, and they were just entrenched by this incident. So um, yeah, I I don't see any reason to uh, to just completely ignore that possibility and i think the fact that it is even on the table it shows that the level of despair and evil that exists in with actors in that region so yeah that's the that's the thing like uh this could have been totally um just happening naturally and there's nothing behind what we're seeing and but the thing is, uh, from like, if uh, the U.S. can say um, that um, killing half a million children in Iraq was worth what they did, uh, I don't see anything stopping the U.S. or the Zionist regime from uh, wanting to kill more people in the region. I mean, I mean, this is something that. Like you said, it's not far-fetched to imagine or to think as a possibility. Um, but despite all of that, I, I mean, just recently, I, I think it was yesterday or the day before that um, heads of different uh, Arab countries are meeting with the um, Syrian government. And there are, I mean, the efforts to... Uh, for the uh, um, like countries and governments of the region to come together and put the um, you know like the disputes and differences aside after 12 years is going on and that's that's good i mean i hope it keeps uh going on and moving forward yeah yeah i hope so i mean the, the real winner and the earthquake was Israel, so uh, um, I hope, uh, hope some of the countries can How? do something. Well, because they, How do you think? like they were, they're the adversaries, the states that they have created as advers adversaries in the region are are the ones that suffered. So, like by, I mean, well, they're able to exert further force over Syria, even, you know, denying them humanitarian aid. I think, you know, the U.S. was a big loser because they were, like, publicly shamed by China. I mean, not big loser in terms of life, obviously, but in terms of political clout, China had to shame the U.S. into, like, allowing aid convoys in there. So China was able to look like a real humanitarian uh, leader. By, yeah. by scolding the U.S. And uh, I think that's really helpful in the global south to help people orient to the 
to the um, you know reality of the U.S. as a, a hegemon and a hegemon that has it's very amoral, um, and so that that was a loss to the U.S.'s credibility as a as a genuine actor. If there was anything left to do. Well, you would think there's a lot of people that still need reminders that that we're yeah. Well, we have a. Well, maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so is is this the end of our? I guess so. In that depressing light, unless there's anything more, like, we can leave in an uplifting light. Is there any good news for today? Maybe I think the news that Arab countries are meeting, the leaders of Arab countries are coming together. After 12 years, that's good news, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's Syria, like people are coming to shake the hands of Assad. But that's great to see. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how he does it because I think a lot of those people deserve to be sat at uh, by him. But because uh, he, because he prioritizes really, the, the yeah. benefits, the interest of his and other nations. He's an amazing leader. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to be able to do that. Uh, Shake hands with people who tried to kill you uh, is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, he's 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 that's an interesting event happening now. Another thing, maybe uh, if people have actually listened to the end of this thing, I congratulate you. Uh, Satara and I are thinking maybe we should do like a daily or maybe like five times a week or something like that. A very regular, short-ish daily recap of the news. So if anyone thinks that's a good idea and you want to comment about that give us some encouragement we were thinking of doing that um so yeah let us know if you think that's a good idea yeah yeah well uh i can just add this one that the heads of the iraqi jordanian palestinian libyan egyptian and emirati houses of representatives as well as representatives from oman and lebanon traveled to syria as a part of a delegation from the Arab Interparliamentary Union. That's uh, that was published uh, four days ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which is great news. I mean, news, everyone yeah. was waiting for Assad to go, but now yeah, it looks like they're reuniting. So Russia and Iran. Iran also yeah. very much important for that. So it shows you that there is it is possible to push and the back people of Syria. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but I think without Iran and Russia, that would have they would have has wouldn't have stood a chance. It was really because there was a coalition of people pushing back against this Zionist Western hegemon, and uh, it shows that they don't they, they can't get everything they want. So that's that's a positive. Well, we had to re-record this because of some internet connections, but thank you for uh, listening to another episode of Twice Told Tales podcast. Um, We hope to see you again soon. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.